Please pray with me. Abba, Father, our hearts cry out to you for an outpouring of your amazing grace and tender mercies. You are the God Most High, yet you are a good, good Father. From your hand comes every good and perfect gift. One of those gifts is the gift of your true and authoritative word. Father, as we open to this passage in your word, open our eyes, unstop our ears, tender our hearts, God. Holy Spirit, help us to grasp the truth of our identity in Christ and our adoption as the beloved children of God the Father. Help me, your child and servant, to speak your truth accurately and passionately. This I pray in the precious and powerful name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. When was your gotcha day? The term gotcha day comes from the phrase got you. It's a celebration of the day an adoptive family got their child. Gotcha day is either celebrated in the courtroom during the finalization of an adoption or the day an adopted child is brought into his or her new home. Some families celebrate this special day every year just like a birthday. Gotcha Day is a beautiful celebration of adoption and is a strikingly different attitude and approach to adoption than when I grew up. I remember there being a stigma attached to being an adopted child. Adoption was awfully a deeply guarded secret, almost shameful. Back then, the stigma attached to adoption was that a child was unwanted, unloved, rejected, for whatever reason. This placed the blame of being given up for adoption on the child instead of the adults involved. But when an adopted child is bullied and told they are unloved or unwanted, wise and loving adoptive parents assure them by saying, we love you so much and we wanted you so much that we picked you out of all the other children in the world. Today's adoptive parents celebrate adoption and fill their adopted children with the assurance of knowing that they are so special, they were chosen to be a part of their family. This is the assurance celebrated with the word, gotcha. The same assurance belongs to every Christian. Believers are the adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. The day of our conversion from sinner to saint, God became our Abba, Father, and he declared, gotcha. The glorious truth that Paul reveals and expounds in Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 through chapter 4 verse 7 is that all who are one with Christ call God Abba, Father. That is what we will explore in our two divisions, unity in Christ 
and united to God's family. So our first division is unity in Christ. Um, that's in Galatians chapter 3 verses 27 through chapter 4 verse 3. Before we dig into this week's passage, I think that a brief summary of doctrine in Galatians is helpful. Now, last time we were in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3 verse 26, it summarized everything we have learned in Galatians thus far by saying, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The main doctrine seen in Galatians chapter 1 through 3 is justification. In Galatians chapter 2, justification is defined as the gracious act of God by which he declares sinners righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are right before God. Having received Christ's righteousness, God judges us not guilty of our sins. This is a legal pronouncement. But Paul shows us an even more precious doctrine in this lesson. Adoption. In adoption, God the judge not only declares us not guilty, he arises from his bench, comes to you, tenderly removes your chains, and says, Come home with me. You are now my daughter. Adoption into God's family occurs when we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. All who are one with Christ call God Abba, Father. Turn with me now to Galatians chapter 3 verse 27. It says, For as many as you, of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. In the act of baptism, the old sinful person goes under the water and the new one with Christ person emerges. Baptism replaced circumcision as the outward symbol of the inward reality of a believer's identification with Christ. This is huge when we remember that Paul is addressing the Judaizers who were teaching the Galatians that they must be circumcised to be saved. But just as circumcision did not save anyone from their sin, baptism cannot save anyone from their sin. Paul is pointing to baptism as a necessary act of obedience commanded by God because it draws a picture or it demonstrates a Christian's identification with Christ. To be baptized into Christ means we have put on Christ. We have been clothed with his righteousness. In Old Testament times, changing clothes was one of the rites performed when a child became a man and received his full rights as a son. The same is true for a believer. Our old self in Adam is removed and discarded, and our new self in Christ is um, received by faith 
and we are united with him. We put him on and we become one with Christ. We are so united with Christ that we call his father our father. All who are one with Christ call God, Abba, Father. Verse 28 is almost like a test to see if we are united with Christ as well as in Christ. Were there any divisions in the Galatian church? There definitely were. Paul declares there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The call is for us to be unified in Christ. But the reality is Christians are divided on so many levels because they are not unified in Christ. This unity in Christ is stunted when we fail to invest in our relationship with God. We fail to pray as we ought. We fail to study and apply God's word as we ought. We fail to love one another as we ought. We fail to see one another as Christ sees us. Instead, we embrace the us versus them mindset with regard to things like race. Paul refers to that when he says Jew and Greek. Social standing. Paul refers to that when he says slave or free. And gender, when Paul says male and female. Yet unity in Christ demands that there be no segregation. None. If we persist in dividing people into us's and them's, we persist in being filled with snobbery, prejudice, and hatred toward our fellow man toward our fellow Christians. It is only when we are united in Christ and truly with Christ, one with Christ, that we see people the way that he sees them, that we treat people the way he treats them, and we love people the way that he loves them. Philip Graham Riken says that we have the best and truest fellowship when we recognize our diversity but see it as less important than our unity in Christ. Our unity in Christ is not always visible to the watching world. But you know what they do see? They do see division in the church. They see churches segregated by race, social status, and gender. They see us arguing and dividing ourselves over differences like how we baptize, how we take communion, how often we take communion, the role of women, how we sing praises to God. When these lesser things define us, they divide us. When greater things like God's Savior, God's character, and God's Word when those greater things define us, they unite us. Our differences must not hinder our unity in Christ. Instead, our differences should be opportunities to show the world what it means to be 
in Christ. We must be markedly different, completely other, set apart for God in Christ. That is our identity as Christians. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, we learn that God's unconditional covenant or promise of redemption was made to Abraham and his offspring, referring to Jesus Christ, Abraham's true son. Therefore, if we are in Christ, then we too are God's offspring. All who are one with Christ call God Abba, Father. If we are united to Christ by faith, theologian John Stott says, Christians find their place in eternity related first and foremost to God as his sons and daughters. In society, related to each other as brothers and sisters in the same family. And in history, related also to the succession of God's people down through the ages. Sons of God, sons of Abraham. This is the identity of believers. In the ancient world, only a son received the father's inheritance. So sonship refers to a believer's inheritance. What exactly is this inheritance? In a word, heaven. Revelation 21, 4 gives a brief but beautiful description of our inheritance. It is a place where God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. In heaven, we will finally and fully dwell with God we will see God and be with God. Everything will be made new, completely redeemed from every trace of the fall. The bejeweled new Jerusalem will be our new hometown. And there will be no more night because the eternal light of the Lamb will fill the new heaven and the new earth. Won't that be glory? All who are one with Christ are heirs to this promise. The Judaizers agreed, but they claimed that the title God's sons was reserved for the nation of Israel, for the Jews. Paul rebuts their claim. The Galatians did not need to become Jews because God's true church, his true uh Israel is the church. All who come to faith in Christ are his true heirs, part of God's one and only family. Paul continues to speak in familial terms in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is owner of everything, he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. 
Now, if you remember farther back in Galatians chapter 3, we learn that according to Greek civil law, wealthy men entrusted pedagogues with the care of a child until the child came of age to inherit his father's estate. Before a child came of age, he was essentially treated like a slave. He had no legal rights. He had no property rights. And he was under the discipline of the pedagogue, told when to wake up, when to go to school, what to wear, how to behave, and when to go to bed. Treated more like a slave than a son, it was for the child's own good. To receive his inheritance, he needed to be a mature man. And this occurred on a date legally set by his father. In verse 3, Paul says, In the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Paul's analogy is that the law is our pedagogue. It makes us slaves, not sons. The phrase elementary principles of this world is difficult to interpret. The Greek term refers to basic teachings like your ABCs. This describes God's law. God's laws are basic principles, essential components, or elementary things. The Judaizers wanted the Galatians to add the law to the gospel of grace. But Paul argues that God's children grow up advancing beyond the law to embrace their true status as God's sons. All who are one with Christ are heirs of God's promise. That's our first truth. All who are one with Christ are heirs of God's promise. How does your life reflect that you are one with Christ? What is keeping you from living as a true heir of God's promise? The watching world should be able to see a difference between someone who is one with Christ and someone who is not. Those who are one with Christ look like Christ in the way that they love and serve others. Those who are one with Christ sound like Christ in the way they speak words of grace, encouragement, and kindness rather than words of criticism, gossip, and hate. Those who are one with Christ are like Christ when they promote unity rather than division with regard to race, social status, and gender. The key is being one with Christ and heirs to God's promise. Because we are, we can claim all the promises God makes to his children. These include his promises to equip us with the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to his commands. His promise to never leave us or forsake us, to comfort us in our distress, to give us his unshakable peace, to love us with an everlasting love, 
to strengthen us and sustain us, to grow us into the likeness of his son Jesus, and so on and so on. If you have never been on a treasure hunt through scripture looking for God's promises to his children, make that your summer study. Start now. Every time you open the Bible and you see a promise from God, underline it, record it, and trust God for every one of them. All who are one with Christ are heirs of God's promise. They also know who their father is and who their siblings are because they are united to Christ's family. So our second division is united to Christ's family. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7. This passage is one of the many wonderful but God passages in Scripture. When you see the words but God in Scripture, pay close attention. God is doing something jaw-droppingly awesome. In verses 4 and 5, listen for the but and listen for the God. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The phrase, the fullness of time had come, reflects the ancient law that declared a father's right to set the time when his son would receive his estate or inheritance. Paul connects this to the day that God the Father appointed for his sons to receive their inheritance. The arrival of that day began when his son Jesus descended from heaven and put on human flesh. This is known as his incarnation and is revealed in the words, born of women, born under the law. The fullness of time arrived not only in his incarnation, but also in his death and resurrection. His death and resurrection are revealed in the words, to redeem. Jesus' death on the cross redeems or buys us out of bondage to the law, bondage to sin and death, and it transforms us from slaves to sons. Why did Jesus need to die to redeem us? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Something or someone must shed blood. It must die to pay for my sin and yours. Jesus did this for us. He atoned for or paid the price for all our sin, past, present, and future. And he did this with his own precious blood. Born under the law, he fulfilled the law and was declared righteous before the holy God. Only he could do this because only he lived his entire life in perfect obedience to God's law. He is our Redeemer. 
his death on the cross atoned for or paid for our sin to redeem us. And not only are our sins paid for, but we receive Christ's perfect obedience or righteousness as our own. Jesus' resurrection from the dead declared his victory over sin and death, as well as God's acceptance of his sacrifice on our behalf as a lamb of God. Scripture teaches that because of Christ's death and resurrection, we are clothed in his robe of righteousness, and we are declared not guilty before God, the judge. This, remember, is the doctrine of justification. We are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and adopted as sons. A simple way to remember the Redeemer's twofold work are with two words, atonement and adoption. Now, adoption, like atonement, is an act of free grace that transforms us from slaves to sons and from freedom to family. Adoption gives every believer a right to the privileges given to the sons of God. God did not save us and leave us on our own. He unites us to himself through Christ. And all who are one with Christ call God Abba, Father. We become members of his covenant community, which is the church, and are granted access to the very throne of God. As God's adopted sons and daughters, we have the privilege of entering his presence and asking him for whatever we need, whenever we need it. We have the assurance of knowing that he hears us when we pray and answers us according to his will, because we are his children. He is our heavenly Father. Verse 6 expands on our indescribably precious privilege as his children. Paul says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba! Father. God the Father is an exceedingly good Father, exalted in holiness, majestic in glory, and enthroned in the heavenlies. He invites his children to cry out to him with the intimate name, Abba, Father. He wants us to rest in the assurance that as his children, we are loved with his extravagant and everlasting love. His love for us is so great that he expressed it to us as the triune God. The fact that verse 6 says that God sent the spirit of his son into our heart reveals the intimacy between God the Son and God the Holy Spirit within the Trinity. The Son brings us into relationship with the Father, and the Spirit seals the family tie. Indeed, our adoption reveals the mysterious inner workings of the Trinity. God the Father adopts us 
by sending God the Son to redeem us from bondage so that we are no longer slaves, but sons. Then he sent God the Holy Spirit to give us the sure knowledge that we are his children and the mind-blowing privilege of calling the Most High God, Abba, Father. He had to do this because these truths are too wonderful for us to grasp in our fallen flesh. Paul underscores his point to the Galatian believers and to us in verse 7. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Throughout this passage, when Paul uses the word son or sons, he is not being sexist. He is not excluding daughters like you and me. Again, in the ancient world, only sons received the father's inheritance. By calling God's children sons, he was showing God's guarantee that all his sons and daughters are included in his will and testament. The promise of eternal life with God in heaven is for everyone who becomes a child of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. All who are one with Christ call God, Abba, Father. All who are one with Christ are adopted into God's family and guaranteed a beautiful inheritance. Our second truth is all who are one with Christ are adopted into God's family and guaranteed a beautiful inheritance. What privileges and benefits are you enjoying as God's adopted daughter? What difference does knowing that God is your Abba, Father, make in your day-to-day -day life? All who have been adopted into God's family are assured an inheritance from their heavenly Father. This assurance gives us confidence in this life. While we will still suffer in this fallen world, we need not fear or despair. Dr. Kim Riddlebarger says, the door to heaven is wide open 24-7. And as God's adopted sons and daughters, all we need do is to enter his presence and ask him for whatever we need, knowing that he hears us and answers us because of Jesus and according to his will. After all, we are his children and he is our heavenly father. Are you his adopted daughter? Ephesians 1, 11 through 13 says, Our heavenly inheritance is God's purpose and will for us, and we receive the promise of our inheritance by hearing the word of truth and believing in Christ Jesus. One day, we will take possession of our full inheritance. For now, 
understanding and valuing the glory that awaits us in heaven helps us endure whatever happens to us in this life. It helps us praise God even in the storms because as his adopted children, we have his guarantee that our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. That is from 2 Corinthians 4, 17. And Psalms 16, 5 and 6 assure us that our inheritance is delightful, wonderful, beautiful. Is it yours? All who are one with Christ are adopted into his family and guaranteed a beautiful inheritance. When is your gotcha day? Last week in Esther chapter 6, Haman dressed Mordecai in the very robes of the king and paraded him through town, proclaiming, This is what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor. In Galatians, Paul teaches us that God dresses us in Christ's robe of righteousness, the very robe of the King of Kings. He parades us through life now and for eternity, proclaiming, this is what was done for my child. This, this is my beloved child, my treasured possession. On her, I have poured out every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. To her belongs my glorious inheritance, heaven, her new and forever home. God speaks these words to every one of his sons and daughters, those he has justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, are adopted into his forever family. He's got me. Has he got you? If you're not sure of your gotcha day, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved from the death penalty your sins earn you. He bestows his inheritance on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord, my friends. When you do, you will hear Almighty God whisper to your soul, gotcha. Answer him with the cry of a child, his child, Abba, Father. All who are one with Christ call God, Abba, Father. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, majestic King, 
and righteous Lord. You are worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. You are worthy of our complete surrender. Help us this week to live surrendered to your perfect will. As your beloved children, we can trust in your power and promises. Holy Spirit, we trust you to help us live out our unity in Christ rather than cause division. We trust you to assure us of our heavenly inheritance and to place the words, Abba, Father, on our lips. Oh, Father God, we trust you to care for every need and concern that we bring to your throne of grace. We trust in your unfailing love and goodness to us. May we rest in you like children resting on the bosom of their heavenly Father. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus, to make all this possible. It is in his name that I pray. Amen.